Good morning. You guys are lively today. I like it. it must be the heat. I was going to say something like, welcome to July at the Ridge, and then someone told me, no, this isn't that unusual for Indiana. It's like another thing they failed to mention <laughs> earlier on, because it's hot. I was listening to a podcast this, this week that was telling a story about two brothers. One was, the older brother was 85, the younger brother was 80, and they were estranged and had been for about 40 years. Last time they'd even seen each other was 20 years prior at their mother's funeral, where they had sort of their final falling out, where the younger brother accused the older brother of, of trying to get out of paying his fair share, and the older brother was offended by that accusation. And, and rather than engage or talk or, or lean into that, they just said, I'm done with it. They were okay not talking at all. They would hear news about the other's family f- through cousins, I mean, through other people, uh, they just didn't really interact and didn't really see any desire to. But the son of the younger brother felt like he needed to do something. He didn't feel like he could just let this go. He, he couldn't live with the fact that these brothers might never talk before they both die. And so he, with each of them individually, broached the subject of getting back together. And initially, they were, each brother was like, I'm not interested. It's not, I'm just, I don't care. I, he does his own thing, I do my own thing, that's fine. And, and over time, after having these conversations, they were willing to, and it was always contingent upon, well, I mean, the, he doesn't seem interested, but, you know, maybe. And the son wore them down and got them to a point where they were willing to meet. They were willing to talk, willing to get together. And so sitting down, they spent time reminiscing about the old days. They started off by listing all the people they knew that had died and sharing that information, which sounds a little kind of a little depressing, but they seemed to connect over that. And then they talked about memories uh, from their childhood, and it, it, broaching safe territory because they weren't willing to go into the substantive stuff of, we don't really have a relationship anymore. But eventually they got around to it. Eventually they started talking about those things, and what they realized over the course of a couple days was they didn't really want this relationship to be over They didn't want to give up on it. They didn't want it to be done. And so they began the process of healing, which is a really exciting thing, particularly for this son of of the younger brother who, who had helped facilitate this. Communication is hard. Communication is hard, but it is so unbelievably important. It's something we run from at times. It's something we don't always want to do, but it is unbelievably important. I read a survey that said 65% of mental health professionals say that communication is the most significant reason why relationships fail, because people aren't willing to talk. They're not willing to to hash things out. And there's a lot of reasons, and some of them, well, they're all significant, but some of them you can't change easily. If money's an issue, you can't give someone more right away, and you can't fix the way that they approach it. If sex is an issue, and that's often an issue in relationships, you can't always fix that easily. But communication is something you can fix by just doing it, by leaning into it, by not running from it. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about this morning as we continue our series on messy, how to family better. Now, if you're here this morning and you're in a relationship, if you're married, you're in a relationship, this is for you. If you're here this morning and you'd like to be in a relationship, then this is for you. If you're here this morning and you have people in your life that you interact with in some way, then this is for you. 
We all have relationships in our lives. They look different, but we all have relationships, and communication in those relationships is so incredibly important. How do we respond in a relationship when conflict comes up? How do we communicate through a conflict? How do we work through those things? Well, we're going to look at a couple verses in Proverbs that talk about this issue, that talk about really how do we approach this. It's a common theme throughout the Bible, and it's in Proverbs in a lot of different places, but we're going to look specifically at Proverbs 15, verses 1 to 4. If you brought a Bible with you, you can turn there. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. Starts off by saying, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise make, makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. There's some good stuff there. We're going to dive into that. And the first thing that we're going to take away from these verses when it talks about healthy communication is this. Healthy communication breaks down when we put ourselves first. Healthy communication breaks down when we put ourselves first. When you think about a relationship, when you think about a time that you've had conflict, I mean, take a moment, just kind of think through, when, when have you had conflict in a relationship? When have you had to work through something? Our default mode is to care about our needs. Our default mode is to think about ourselves first. And it's not necessarily even a crazy thing, right? I only have the internal monologue for one person, and it's me. Like, I only know what's, what, someone, what one person wants at all times, and that's me. You know, like, I, I can only kind of read my own thoughts. So that's not even necessarily crazy. But when we put ourselves first in the context of communication, it breaks down. Because what we care most about is wanting to be heard, wanting to be understood, wanting to get our point across. I want you to get me. I want you to hear me. I want you to validate me. I want you to affirm me. And when someone is harsh with us or when, when we, we sense that someone is angry, we react to that. We begin to, to evaluate the validity of their frustration. We judge their frustration. Well, that's not fair. Well, you're wrong to be that way. Well, you shouldn't feel like that. Because we're, say, we're looking at it through our grid and our lens, right? We're saying, I'm the center of the story, and that doesn't seem right or fair or reasonable to me. And so you're, you're wrong. We want to be right. We like being right. Now, I don't know many people that actively look to be wrong and, like, love that. I don't know many people that when you play Trivial Pursuit with them, they're like, uh, I don't know, uh, 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 Thomas Edison, no, I'm sorry, no. Yeah, it was, it was not remotely close. It was Andrew Luck, actually. I'm not sure where he even got that. And you don't see many people like, yes, I was way off. That was awesome. We want to be right. We want to be heard. We want to be understood. That's where our thoughts go to. That's where our feelings are rooted. And so we get defensive. We push back. I mean, that's the what. You know, when we put ourselves first, the what is we're resistant. We push back a little bit. And we might even be, be saying that this isn't a thing. I'm just going to ignore this. I'm going to pretend like it's not a reality. But we can't hide from it. We see that in Proverbs 3. It says, the Lord is watching everything, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. God sees all of this stuff. God knows what's going on. 
and we can't hide from that. It is a reality. We, we struggle with that stuff. And the irony is there's freedom in knowing that God is watching when we are making an effort, when we are living faithfully with him, because the freedom is in the knowledge that God sees my heart and knows that, that I'm trying to pursue him, that I'm trying to engage with him. There's comfort in that. Fear and uncertainty come when we're living apart from him. I mean, that knowledge that God sees everything can be terrifying because it means that our sin and our shame are known to him and our darkest secrets are exposed. And so we react against other people. I don't want to work through this. We begin to scoreboard watch. All right, we keep, there's like a running tally of, of points in the relationship. And, and this is very common in marriage that we may not call it that, but it's like, well, I did this and I did this and I did this and you need to do this. And since you didn't do this, well, you owe me something. You, you owe me this. How dare you be upset with me when I've done all these things? What have you done? We're, we, we scoreboard watch. We, we keep score and we make this tally of here's what I've done and you owe me this. And we look to justify ourselves. Don't keep score. Don't be a me monster. A me monster keeps turning everything back to them. I mean, you've had conversations with people like that. We're like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited. I just can't believe you know, we, just, we just brought our newborn home. We're so, so thrilled. Like, that's great. Speaking of new things, I just got a new car. You totally stole my moment. You know, but we'll do that often in the context of communication where we're putting ourselves first and we're trying to circle it back to us. Communication is far more about understanding than it is about being understood. It's far more about understanding the other person than it is about making yourself understood. And the reason is simple. If we all looked to help the other person feel understood, all of us would feel understood. Maybe not all of us are, are great communicators or great at sharing our feelings, so maybe not all of us can super clearly, easily articulate how we're feeling and help people get us. But if we actively look to help the other person feel understood, everybody gets their box checked. It's far more about understanding than it is about making yourself understood. Healthy communication breaks down when we put ourselves first. So why does that happen? Why does that happen, right? The second thing we want to take away is healthy communication doesn't tear down, it builds up. It doesn't tear down, it builds up. Look at the difference here. It's a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I mean, these are opposites. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make everything worse. That's my paraphrase. Harsh words make everything worse. Look down at the bottom in verse 4. Gentle words are a tree of life. I mean, gentle words are life-giving. Gentle words bring value to other people. They bring life to relationships. But a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. I mean, those are strong, strong words. Crushes the spirit. And I know that we've been in those situations where someone has been harsh or negative or critical or even been untrue towards us, and it just, it crushes us because it's unfair or we don't deserve that or, or they're wrong and you know, we got to live with that stuff. Be a life giver, not a spirit crusher. Be a life giver. We want, when we feel misunderstood, when we feel someone's angry towards us, when someone's harsh towards us, we feel something, right? We begin to, something begins to stir in us. It, it pokes on us. We we get bitter, we get angry, we get frustrated. It, 
it starts to build in us. And maybe we, we no longer care. You have this, a relationship with someone we care about. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's your roommate. But it's someone you care about. And, but when they're harsh or when you feel like someone's angry, we, you begin to get hard and you begin to get bitter and you no longer care how they feel. You want other people to know how you feel. Frankly, even stronger, you want other people to feel how you feel. And we lash out. Like we're backed into a corner, we lash out. We get defensive. When someone pushes on us, we feel like we have to push back. I need to push back, right? I'm, su- I'm supposed to push back. I can't let people walk all over me. And we escalate things. We take something that's like this big and we make it this big. Ever happened to you? Liars. <laughs> of course. We all have those moments. And you don't always notice it in the, in the moment, but you certainly notice it afterwards. I mean, we don't always notice it in the moment when we get there because it hits something in us. You know, maybe for you, it's your, your spouse says something out of frustration to you. Maybe they say something, you never do anything around the house. You never clean up. You never help with the dishes. Like, you never do anything. And that hits something in you. That hits a nerve. Like, that, that hits a raw spot. And, and that get, that's sensitive. And so you, you turn to them and you look back and you're like, I- I'm sorry. What, what did you say? Are you serious? No. Oh, oh, really? So that's how it's going to be? Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to do this. We're going to do this thing right now. You, you and me. It's on right now. It's going to happen. You know what? You're always so emotional. Goodness. You know what? I, I, you did look big in that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I didn't even remember our anniversary. Facebook reminded me. Stephanie was right. Your meatloaf is dry and flavorless. Yeah, you, you know, you're just like your mother. Yeah. Yeah, right? In the moment, it feels so good. I, I would imagine much like boxing, communicating like that feels really good in the moment. And after you've been punched in the face repeatedly, you realize that was a bad decision. That was a bad decision. We try and say hurtful stuff, right? We, I mean, we ammo up. We're like, let's do it. Right, we're going to do this. I've been saving stuff up. It's going to come out now. We just, we lean into those moments. But that's not good because we're actively looking to tear other people down. We're actively looking to hurt. And in, in, in the abstract, right, if we could step out of that and just look at that situation, if in the moment of calm, I were to say to you, would you ever actively do something to hurt someone you love dearly? You'd be like, no, I would never do that. And yet we do it regularly because they've hurt us. And I want you to, know, I want you to feel how it feels. How dare you do that to me? Sometimes we react strongly and to initial criticism, to initial anger, to initial frustration from someone else because it's not true. We're like, that's not true. I mean, how could you say that about me? It's not true. That's not even fair. But sometimes what's interesting is we lash out because it's too true. We know it's true and we hate that about ourselves and it sits in us and we're so embarrassed and ashamed of it, we can't bear to have someone bring it up and confront us with it so we lash out to deflect attention, to to move the focus off of us. Folks, don't weaponize truth. 
Relationships break down when you begin to weaponize truth. Truth should be something that is spoken in love. Truth should be spoken that is something to build up, to encourage. True things can be hard to hear, so let's say them well and graciously and positively and in an affirming way, the way we would want to hear them. Don't weaponize truth. If you're in a committed relationship, if you're married, if you've been friends with someone for a long time, you've got good dirt. Don't use it. Don't use it. Let that stuff go. Because what we need to realize is we're in this together. We need to communicate like we're in the same boat, right? It's not like you're in that boat and I'm in this boat. We need to communicate like we're in the same boat. And I'm certainly not trying to sink my own boat. That doesn't make any sense. I've got new shoes on. I don't want to get them wet. Why would I sink my own boat? But that's what happens when we get, begin to sort of fight like this. We, we go, I have my boat, you have your boat, and I'm taking yours down. It's not battleship, folks. It's a relationship. We're in the same boat together. So what are the triggers for you? When do you lash out? When do you respond this way? I want to encourage you to think through those things. It happens often when we're depleted, when we're empty, when we're frustrated, when we're tired, when we're lonely, that stuff happens more easily. I felt it this week. I was tired this week and I caught myself at one point of just frustrated, just frustrated with, with my kids and frustrated with my wife. And I'm like, this is me. Like I'm tired and my tank is empty and that's my fault. And that's my fault. And so I need to identify those things that, that make this kind of action easier. And, and I want to work around those so that I'm not in that situation because there are factors. We're busy. Life is busy. Kids are work. Jobs are hard. There's stuff going on. How do I identify those things that uniquely hit us so that we can avoid falling into that trap of getting sucked into lashing out that way? How can we not be spirit crushers? But how can we be life givers? Because here's what's powerful. We all have those empty spots. We all have those those holes. We all have them. We all have those triggers. And we will look to have other people to fill them. And when they don't, we will respond in anger. But our problem is we're filling those holes with the wrong thing. What God says to us is that I fill those holes. We look for other people to meet needs that they can never fully meet when God says, I meet those needs. We get frustrated when people fall short for us. We get frustrated when People don't step up for us the way we want when we're not loved the way we want to be loved or respected the way we want to be respected or cared for the way we want to be cared for. And so we lash out in anger rather than looking at them with eyes of compassion, realizing that surely we do the same thing to them. At a different day, at a different time, these roles could easily be reversed. What God says is, I look to meet those needs perfectly. I look to fill you and make you whole. Because the third thing we can take away from this is that healthy communication takes place when we love like we've been loved. When we love like we've been loved. How do we prevent stuff from escalating? How do we give a gentle answer? How do we give life with our words? We love others. We love others. And I don't mean love others the way that like a middle school lunch table would talk about love, where they're like, ew, love, like, hey, he said love, oh, it's so embarrassing. But how we look to genuinely care for and speak truth and walk with and value other people? How do we look to love others? 
If we loved others actively, I don't mean intellectually, I don't mean if we said those words, but if we actively loved other people, think about how different our actions would be. There's a reason why when Jesus is asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Like, what are we supposed to do? Jesus responds by saying, in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And that's a very purposeful way of saying with all of you, with all of you. And then he says, this is the the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Something struck me this week as I was preparing, as I was reading for this. Something just, just jumped out at me as I was reading. And it's the reality that God, we are commanded to love God first, not because God has an ego and needs that from us. We are commanded to, to love God first as a deterrent against our natural inclination to love ourselves first. God created us and wired us and knows how we operate. And so God says, love God first, love me first, pursue me first. Not because he needs that from us, but because God knows the only way for us to move beyond ourselves, the only way to shift our story from focusing on me is to focus on God. That's the only way it's going to happen. I can't just get better at this stuff by trying and focusing. That's how you get a hernia. (laughs) Thanks for coming with me on that. We can't just dig in and be like, I'm going to do it. It's not going to work. We can't, by ourselves, by our own effort, move the focus off of us. That's why God says, love me first. Because when we love him first, when we're overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy that he's shown us, when we're overwhelmed by how he's moved towards us through his son, Jesus, when we realize all that God did on our behalf, we can't help but be changed by that. We can't help it. We couldn't help it if we wanted to. We're so overwhelmed by the picture of love that God has put in front of us that it changes us. God changes us in that relationship. It softens us. It redirects us. He works in us. And loving God first allows us to love others selflessly. Loving God first allows the needs of others to come into focus in ways they're just not going to when we put ourselves first. It shifts the focus on our behalf. And and Jesus is the means that this is possible. Jesus acts like a giant sponge, absorbing our selfishness, taking that onto himself, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, getting us out of our own way. Jesus came to say, I'm going to take all that brokenness. I'm going to take all of that from you. I'm going to take all the sin and all the shame and all the guilt, and I'm going to pay the penalty for that so you can be free from that. Give me those things so you can understand how loved you are so that you can love God the way you were created to. It's a powerful picture for us. Because again, if we understand how God meets our needs perfectly, then you don't need someone else to meet those needs and you can respond differently. We're not hurt the same way, right? If we love God, per- if we love God fully, if, if we understand how God loves us perfectly, if we see how God meets those needs, then we're less disappointed when others don't and we're less angry and we're less frustrated, we're less hurt and we're less bitter. We're able to respond in a different way. Because this isn't about what we deserve. We definitely don't deserve the God of the universe to move towards us and to trade the life of his son for ours, but he does it anyway. What I love about this is that God calls us to respond with a gentle answer to deflect anger because he's done that for us. That God has spoken in gentleness 
life to us through his son, that Jesus responded in gentleness when he was sent to death for something he didn't do. God moved towards us that way. 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And when we realize how we were loved on our own, apart from anything we've done, it really challenges us to go, how could we not love other people? How could I not love other people? We model Jesus when we are gentle to others, when they don't deserve it, because that's how he was towards us. Folks, it doesn't mean when we respond with gentleness that other people will react the way you want them to. If you respond with gentleness and someone responds to you with more anger and you go, see, I knew I shouldn't have done this. No, no, you missed the point. There's a breakdown there. This is not, you missed something. Like we don't respond once, we respond over and we respond over and we respond over again. Because you know what happens when we do? People see something different. People see Jesus in us. When you respond to someone who has treated you poorly with grace and forgiveness, when you respond with gentleness, people eventually look at that and go, what's wrong with you? Why, why, why are you doing that? They get that there's something different. How do we live that out? We're essentially re-gifting what God has done for us through his son. We're taking this gift that's amazing. We're going, I'm going to package this up and I'm going to give this to someone else as well so they can change their life. What I find interesting about the story of these two brothers is they would never have gotten back to talk with, the, with each other again had someone not interceded on their behalf. Had someone not inserted themselves into their story and said, this doesn't have to end this way. This can be different. That's exactly what Jesus has done inserted himself in our story and said, your story doesn't have to end this way. There is a better ending, a perfect ending, the ending that you are trying to find. Jesus allows us to respond in a way that we can't and don't want to on our own. Folks, if you're in a relationship, if you want to be in a relationship, if you have people in your life that you interact with on a regular basis, this is how we're called to live. This truth speaks to us. Be a life giver, not a spirit crusher. That's hard because it means not giving in to what feels right at the time, but that's ultimately how we grow and invest in and pursue and, and develop these relationships. And that's how we care for others the way we would want to be cared for. So I want to give you four kind of basic steps, four, some four things, four little points that you can tuck away when you're in these situations. The first one is stop right? Stop. And that's important because stuff escalates because we just give in to the emotion of it, right? Where we give in to that, no, oh no, you didn't. Oh no, you didn't. We are going to do, we're going to do this thing. We give in to that and it builds and it builds and we, we allow the emotion of the moment to drive us somewhere we don't want to go. So stop. Pause. Step back from the intensity and the emotion of the situation. Second thing is listen. Over and over and over and over again, the Bible says, quick to listen, slow to speak. You know why? Because we're neither of, we do neither of those things well. We're not quick to listen. We're not slow to speak. But regularly, over and over again, in James and Colossians and all these different books of the Bible, we see that idea. 
How do we look to hear others rather than make ourselves be heard? Think of how much good that simple idea would do. Think of how much good that would do in our relationships, in our lives, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our country, in our world. If we look to be heard, if we look to hear others rather than be heard, if we look to communicate, care for others by saying, what's going on with you? How are you feeling? What can I do for you? Tell me what's going on. How do we look to listen? Third thing is engage. Stop, listen, engage. Proverbs 15 says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. You know what it doesn't say? There's no third option of leaving and just ignoring the whole situation. We're going to make it better or we're going to make it worse. Those are the two options. So engage in that. Lean into that. Don't run away. Don't pretend it's not a thing. Lean into it. Say, this relationship is worth it to me. It's worth enough for me to to participate in this moment. Engage in, in the conversation. And also engage in introspection afterwards. Engage in thinking about it afterwards. What in me triggered this? Why did I feel that way? Why did I want to respond that way? So that we don't, we don't do it again. Engage could mean saying sorry for your part of it. Folks, you can't control someone else's actions. You're not accountable for their actions, but you're accountable for your own before the God of the universe. And so how do you look to say, I, I need to own that. I'm sorry. How do you volunteer forgiveness even when it's not asked for? Engage in that moment. And the last thing is affirm. How do you leave people feeling like they were heard and understood? Man, I value being gotten really highly. I value being understood really highly. And if I value it highly, then how do I value it highly enough to make sure that I do that for others? How do we look to communicate to people, I, I hear where you're coming from, that makes sense. How do we let people know they're not crazy for, for what's going on? Healthy communication is important. It affects every area of our life, and it's a hard thing, but it's possible to do well if we think about how God has moved towards us and communicated towards us to make all this possible. How do we look to be life givers and not spirit takers?